Amen. Amen. Welcome to South. We are glad that you're here this morning. My name is Ryan Paulson. I'm the lead pastor here. And we are uh, starting a new series today uh, where we're going to be in John 11 for the next five weeks looking at um, a story that is often known as the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And it is partially about that. Um, But I want to sort of Uh, take a framing for us of it over the next few weeks that may cause us to look at it a little bit differently. Speaking of looking at it a little bit differently, um, if if you are a type A person today, I'm sorry. Not that you're type A, I'm just going to drive you crazy today, okay? And I want to get that out there. Um, You can take your outline that you have in your bulletin. And you can cross out the last two points on it. We're not going to get to them. Um, and you can reverse the first two points. As I, uh, hey, here's the deal. I'm type A too. I'm a planner. I love to plan. I love to envision. I love to try to see where God's go, where God's taking us and where he's leading and, and follow boldly. And as I got into the office this morning and started pouring over my message and praying through it, it just became really clear to me um, that I'm supposed to make a point today. One. And and as I was walking through the rest of the message and and it felt right theologically and, and it's true and you'll hear it in the next few weeks, there's just, I think, there's something that God, I I think, wants us to sit in this morning or, um, Maybe I'll just say it for, for, in the singular. Uh, there's something God wants me to sit in this morning. Um, and, and so you guys are in some ways along for the ride, but my desire is to serve you well this morning um, and teaching uh, the first six verses of John chapter 11. I was um, in college, and, and uh, I think I was probably a sophomore at this point in time, and we, uh, I got involved with the church right before I left for college, and uh, my family's been going there ever since, and I would help out and serve on, um, on youth group trips. So they would have a retreat, and, and me along with a few of my friends would go, and, and we would serve. And, and so we went up to the mountains for this weekend, and we served on a, on a retreat. And I don't know if you've ever been on a high school retreat, but there's a lot of things that you do on those retreats. One of them is not sleeping a whole lot. So you can pray for our, our, our high school junior high ministry is up in the mountains this weekend. And uh, from what I hear, they've had a great time, but that's um, sort of uh, parenthetical to where, where I'm going. So I was uh, serving at this retreat. I uh, hadn't gotten a lot of sleep. And so we were at the end of the retreat and ready to come home, drive home back to Fort Collins from the mountains. And uh, so there's four of us in this car and we sort of had this conversation, who feels good enough to drive home? And I, in a Peter-esque, I will never leave you, Lord, moment said, I do, I do. And so uh, the four of us hopped in this car, me behind the wheel, we cruised down the mountain, we were doing great. This is pre-five-hour energy drinks, I just want to make that known, but post-coffee, so I have no excuse. But we made it through the city of Denver and we were on I-25 heading north uh, and I had the cruise control set at 75 miles an hour. And everybody else in the car was asleep. I don't know if you've had that moment. Dads, I'm sure you have, where everybody else in your car is asleep and you look in the rearview mirror and go, that looks so nice. (laughs) So nice. 
And so I started playing this game that you might play with yourself every once in a while where, where it started with the just alternating eye blinks, you know, where I'm like left eye closed, but the right eye is open as if that will help. And then it turns into just long blinks. Oh, you know, anyway, and, and, and then somewhere along the way, I don't know where it happened on I-25. It was, it was past Windsor, but not to Fort Collins yet. Dozed off. Praise the Lord that the car had pretty good alignment. And that's a pretty straight stretch of the freeway. But I was cruise control, asleep at the wheel, until... Bang! And we hit one of those green, flimsy reflectors along the side of the freeway that, praise be to God, it wasn't a concrete pylon, went... But I mean, in a second, I went from, I need hours and hours of sleep to, I'm ready to go! Right? I mean, just that adrenaline rush of... Sweet Lord, what just happened to us? And so we swerved a little bit and pulled over. And I apologize to everybody else in the car who were also very, very, very awake after that. I started thinking about that as I looked at this passage. And, and you know, many of us may not have had, I hope that not too many of us have had that experience driving. But I think a lot of us have had that experience in life where... Life has this tendency to get normal. You know, you know what I mean? Where, where things just that, that are things that are good and things that are blessings and things that are God's grace to us just sort of become part of our everyday. And you know, like like whether it's if you're married, waking up to somebody you love, or or, or holding your kids, or whatever it may be. Yeah, going to hey hey maybe it's just tomorrow driving to work. And we just take it for granted that, hey, we have a job. But life has this ability, life has this tendency, at least for me, to get really normal. Where, where I just take things for granted. But God has this sort of unique, sometimes painful ability to go, hey, hey, there's, there's more going on here. There's more going on here. He has this ability to, to wake us up. And, and here's what I found that when that happens in life, two, two ways that happens for me. One is it happens through the joys of life, right? I mean, I'm just 13 days ago for the very first time I held my brand new son. That's a game changer. That, that is a, not just for him. Here's what, here's what I started to recognize. Not just for holding him. But as I held him and started to think about what's his, what's his life going to look like down the road? Who's he, who's he going to become? What's he going to give his life for? What's he going to invest his life in? What's he going to be passionate about? What's going to stir his heart? And I started to just love this little guy that I just met and I have no idea what he's going to be like. But then my other kids came to visit me, visit us in the hospital and, and I hugged them a little bit tighter too. Because God had just said, hey, Ryan, remember, it's not just normal. These are blessings that I've given you. And man, can we just say, isn't that great when God wakes us up with the gentle thrill of blessing? 
and goodness and grace. Yeah, that's great. There's another side to that coin too. Is that sometimes that wake up moment comes in the shape and form of pain. In the, in the form of in the form of hurt, in the, in the form of things that we would rather not walk through in life. Either way, God uses it to wake us up, but sometimes that wake up is a wake up to a glorious existence and a can't believe the blessing that you've given me, God, and you are so great and so magnificent and so glorious in this. And sometimes it's the wake up to remember what you have given me is good, even if you take it away. In either way, he serves us by walking alongside of us to wake us up. And here's what I've realized for me, is I think in that wake up moment, in that moment where our eyes are open to what God is doing and the way that he's working and the way that he's moving amongst us, in that wake-up moment, I've seen for me that I have three choices, and I think that all of us do. Here's the, and I'm speaking specifically of, and this is where we're going to go in John 11, that, that sort of painful wake-up moment. We have three choices. One, we can... And we do a great job of this as Christians, especially in church. We can fake it and say everything's okay. Right? I mean, because it's, it's just easier, isn't it? I mean, we were walking through the welcome area. Hey, how are things going? Awesome. Or maybe, maybe more so, Fine. Fine. And hey, I get it, there's some times that are appropriate to say, no, that it's just not going well. And then other times where it just is a longer conversation than that. I get it. But, but I think we have this ability to just sort of put on the happy face. And, and not just because of what other people will think, but because we think that's what God wants from us. I can tell you, honestly, that almost crippled my faith. That sort of wear a mask, pretend like everything's okay because I was walking through tragedy and walking through difficult times and it just seemed like everybody else who was walking through it was just happy and so I pretended to be happy and inside I am just rotting. And, and I, man, I want, I want this to always be a place where it's okay to not be okay. Because with God, it's okay to not be okay. He's sort of the okay one. He's always okay, and so for us, it's okay to not be okay because he's always okay. So so that's one option. We can just fake it. And hey, wake up moment comes, tragedy, pain, sorrow hits, and we can just keep on keeping on. Hey, the second option, which isn't all that much better, I've seen it happen a ton, is we just walk away. We walk away from we walk away from faith. We walk away from God because our view of God is, hey God, if you're if you're good and if you're powerful, then why? And so God, you must not be good or you must not be powerful, which means that you're not God. And so I'm walking away. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had on college campuses over the last oh five, six years where this was the storyline. 
where we'd walk on and we'd interact with people about faith and about Jesus and about church and about that kind of thing. And, and the conversation would inevitably go something like this. I used to go to church, but I used to go to church, but, you know, my, my parents got divorced and, and I've just walked away from the faith. I heard that a ton. I, I used to go to church, but when my, when my mom passed away, I just couldn't reconcile that. I can remember talking to one girl who, who, um, who lost her mom and she'd been sort of a part of our group and she just was weeping saying, I just, I don't have a category for a God who's powerful and good and loving and would let that happen. I used to go to church, but I can remember talking to another girl, but my uncle abused me and I just can't view a God that would allow that to happen. And so we're left with these questions, these moments when life wakes us up. Do we just pretend like it's all okay? Or do we, or do we walk away? Even right now, um, Kelly and some of the ladies at her, her work, as she's an English teacher, they started a Bible study with some other teachers on a Friday morning. And there's one of these teachers who's been sort of a cornerstone of this group. And the Sandy Hook elementary shooting happened. And she came to the group and said, I don't know if I'm a Christian anymore. Because I just don't know how a good God could let that happen. Man. I wonder if there's a third option, though. Because uh, I don't, I don't want to fake it, and I can't walk away. I don't want to fake it, and I can't walk away. I mean, it's sort of like Peter at the end of John 6, where Jesus says, Hey, if you want to follow me, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And other people leave. And Jesus comes to Peter and says, Peter, are you going to leave too? And Peter goes, Where else can I go? You have the words of eternal life. And so when tragedy hits, where do we, where do we go? And, and so here's the, here's the thing that I think John 11 points out to us and where I want to drill down for us this morning is that faith is not believing that Jesus will. Faith is believing that Jesus is. And there's a huge difference. And there's a huge difference. And faith, hey, faith has to have room for the equation to not work out. See, here's the, here's the equation. Um, God, if, if I do all the right things, right? Like I'm a, I'm a good boy or girl. I go to church. I take notes. I do that, which this is going to be a hard message to take notes on. So good luck. Um, I go to church, I, I do the things you want me to do, and, and I have faith. Here's what we do. We, we make faith as part of the equation. So if I have faith, then you do what I'm hoping for. You, you heal. You restore. You work. But what happens when the equation doesn't work? What happens when, when we do have genuine faith. And Jesus doesn't show up the way that we hope he will or that we want him to. See, because here in that equation, our faith is really in the outcome. Our faith is really in what the equation spits out. 
we plug in the right variables and then God sort of turns into this genie that we rub and then he spits out whatever we want him to spit out. So our real savior in the equation is whatever it is that we have faith in and that we're hoping for. That's our ultimate. That's our supreme. That's where our hope and our joy lies and clings to. But what happens when that equation doesn't work out the way that we hope that it will? Let's take a look at John chapter 11 as we see this idea that faith is really, faith is really the ability to live with a greater vision of what God is doing in the world than just what's going on with me. See, faith is the ability to say, all right, I have my feet firmly planted in the story that I'm living, in the road that God has called me to walk, in the journey that he has me on, and, and to have my feet firmly planted in the fact that long before I was born, God was. And long before I was born, God was working. And long after I'm born, long after I'm gone, He will still be at work. That for a short, I used to say 80 years, I'm not convinced I get that long anymore. We get to be a part of His story so that for a short time, our lives get to intersect with this grander story of God. But what does it look like to live a life that's convinced that even in the pain and even in the wake-up moments of life to be convinced that he is present and that he is good and that he is for me? What does it look like to live a life that steps out of just me and into a greater vision of all that God is doing in the world? On a vacation, I don't know when, we went to uh, Four Corners you live in Colorado, you may have been there. Where you can have a foot in Arizona and New Mexico and Colorado and Utah all at the same time. Anybody taking pictures there? And just me? Okay. All right. Great. So, you know, we have family pictures of us all like, oh my gosh, we're in four states at the same time. And, you know, like lying down and I'm sleeping in four states at the same time. And isn't that great? And isn't that awesome? And, and I was sort of envisioning that for this message that faith would be saying, all right, I'm willing to ground my life in the story of what's happening to me right now today, but I'm unwilling to lose focus and lose the vision of what God is doing in the grand meta narrative of history where he's working for his glory and for his name and for his fame. And it's easy for me to just get caught up in my story and lose part and lose vision of what God's doing in the grand meta narrative of history for the glory of his name. John chapter 11, I think, helps us unpack how we might be able to see this. says this now a certain man was ill Lazarus of Bethany in the village of Mary and her sister Martha it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair so so actually what John is going to do is John is assuming that his audience is familiar with the other three Gospels that at the time of his writing have already been written. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already been penned. The churches were fairly familiar with them. And so he's going to refer here to a story that he hasn't told yet. 
He's going to tell it in chapter 12, and he's going to unpack it for us, but he hasn't told it yet. And he introduces this story with saying, there's this man who was ill, he was sick, and if you go back and you read through sort of the the timeline of this, by the time that these people get to Jesus, Lazarus is probably already dead. See, he's really sick. Real sick. certain man, Lazarus. It was Mary who'd anointed him. And in this like unbelievable act where she takes the most expensive thing in her house, the most expensive thing that she owns, and she breaks that bottle and she puts it on his feet and she wipes it with her hair. I mean, you talk about an intimate moment between Jesus and another person. There, there may be no other family, I don't think there was, that Jesus was closer to that Jesus was closer to. And Mary wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was ill. And so the sisters sent to him, saying, do you love it? The sisters come around, and they see that Lazarus is not doing well, and so they send to Jesus, because here's their thought. Lord, he whom you love is sick, is ill. So here, here, in in a sense, here's what they do. They say, Jesus, Jesus, do you remember us? Remember remember us? That Mary, who's going to be the one who who anoints your feet before you go to the cross, do do you remember us? You've eaten at our house, Jesus. You've, You've played with are the kids in our neighborhood, Jesus? You've slept in our rooms, Jesus. Jesus, do you, do you remember us, Jesus? And it's almost like they throw out this resume for him. Jesus, we're sort of, we're sort of tight. Jesus, if you, if you don't come through for us, Jesus, who do you come through for? Man, I, um, I told you I'm a, I'm a planner. I planned to teach on John chapter 11 a long time ago. A long time ago. And I've shared with you pretty openly over the last little while, my mom's health has just deteriorated. And I love my mom really close to her. And this last Tuesday, she had um, what they call a TIA mini stroke that she has had before, but she's bounced back from. Um, this time, she didn't bounce back too well. And she can't walk anymore. And she's having trouble speaking. And I just want to say to Jesus, like, hey, Jesus, remember, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Remember, my, my dad's a pastor. Remember, my, my brother's a worship leader. My, my brother-in-law's a youth pastor. Hey, Jesus, here's my, here's my resume. Will you come through for me? Will you come through for me? I hear him whispering back, absolutely. It just may not be in the way that you hope I will, right? 
man, I'm going to fight for that. And I'm going to, and I'm going to by faith hold on to that. But man, this week I've been reminded that my faith is not that Jesus will do anything. It's that Jesus is. It's that he is. And that whatever he does, he's good. Even if it really stings. And even if it really hurts. And what I felt like God wanted to say to me this morning and Thank you for being along for the ride. Was something that's in this passage actually multiple times. Because what they don't do is they don't do what I said. They don't send a resume. I mean, they remind him of who they are and they remind him of the fact that they're close to him. But listen closely to what they say. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you what? love. Can I just say, I love that they don't write to him and say, hey, Jesus, we love you. So will you come? We love you. So, so, so Jesus, come rescue, save, heal. They put it completely on Jesus and they say the one whom you Love is ill. But when Jesus heard this, it says in verse 4, he said, this, sick, this illness does not lead to death. Well, it will, and it already had, but we'll get there. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. It says, now Jesus loved. So, so here's this again. It's not, and so, and Martha and Lazarus and, and Mary loved Jesus. It says, and, and Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so here's, I want to go back to my original question. How do we live life with our feet firmly planted in two worlds? In the world that says, yes, this world is very real and very good and very hard, but also where we don't lose sight of the fact that this existence, my existence, is not the total existence of God, that he has been at work, that he will be at work, and that he's working even when I don't see him. How do we keep our feet firmly planted when wake-up calls come and when sickness happens and when hurt happens? How do our feet stay planted in two different worlds? And here's what I think John chapter 11 teaches us maybe above all else it makes no bones about the fact that they are calling out to Jesus why because he loves them and so for us for you and for me we live feet firmly planted in two worlds because we have an unshakable confidence in the love of God the love that he has for us. Verse 6. Look at it with me again. Now, verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. So. So. And I went back and I looked at that word because it says, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in that place. I went back and looked at that word so because I thought it can't mean what it looks like it means in this translation. It can't mean, because what it looks like it means is he loved them, and so intentionally he made them wait. 
intentionally he made them sort of sweat it out. And I went back and I looked at the original and it's probably even stronger than that word. It could be translated, therefore. It's the same preposition. So it could read, he loved them, therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he waited. You ever felt like God was just sort of late to the party? I mean, you ever felt like that where this thought runs through your mind, God, if you had known about this earlier and shown up earlier, then fill in the blank wouldn't have happened. Then the relationship wouldn't have fallen apart. God, this, this marriage, if you would have showed up a little bit earlier, God, this marriage could have been saved. Or, hey, God, if you would have just shown up a little bit earlier and showed me where I should have gone to school, then I wouldn't have gone down this road. Or, God, if you would have shown up just a little bit earlier, maybe that sickness doesn't end in death. You ever felt like God is just late? And here we read, not only is he late, but he's like casually intentionally late? I mean, he's like the guy that he knows the party starts at 6, but he doesn't come till 7 because he's afraid there might not be anybody there at 6. I mean, Jesus, come on. Come on. And part of the wrestling of faith, of having feet planted in two different worlds, is what do we do when it seems like Jesus shows up? Late when it when he shows up intentionally late. Here's what I do. Here's my first default. If you're late, it means that you don't love me. Because here here was here was what love is, Jesus. I thought I laid it out on the table for, for you, and maybe you didn't understand. But but if you love me, then fill in the blank. And I've been struck with the fact, especially as I've been sitting both in in real life and in John 11, that, man, that's just an immature love. I'll just, I'll just, for me, it's an immature love. It's, it's the kind of love that my, my four-year-old has, where he thinks if I love him, then he's going to get to eat ice cream and watch Dora the Explorer all day. (laughs) It's a four-year-old kind of love. But, but, is it possible, does our faith leave room for Jesus to be smarter than us? Because we say, yeah, but when the rubber hits the road, is it really? Is it possible that Jesus knows more than we know, and so that in actually being late, he serves us, and he stirs us, and he shapes us, and he makes us, and he pries our hands off of some of the things that we dearly love, maybe love more than we love him, so that they might be empty, and that they can eventually be filled with him is it possible that in his love he knows more than we know and in his love he's willing to fight for my joy even when it means that i walk through some hurt and some trial and some sorrow and some pain man i just someday there's some days that i wish that god was more like a genie in a bottle and where he could i could just say to him hey you love me so then will you do this 
Some days he does. There's days when he doesn't. So, our reframing of faith and of the discussion is that we remain convinced, feet firmly planted, that wherever I go, whatever I walk through, whatever happens, I'm convinced that God loves me. Hey, that means I'm falling and I'm sinking my anchor on, not on the fact that I love him. That, and, and when trial hits, that's not even, that's not my deepest longing of my soul. The deepest longing of my soul and the trial and the pain of life is not that I love him, although I do and I hope to my dying day I do and I hope that I will, but that's not my hope. My ultimate hope is you love me. And you're for me. And I can rejoice in that and take solace in that even when life stings and even when life hurts. I love the way that John says this a little bit later. And he says, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation, a wrath-absorbing sacrifice for our sin. And I love how he goes on in this passage and he says this, so, so because this, because God is so great and he's so good and he's done so much for us, so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. Even in the dark days of life, even when the night seems like it will not end, This is our cling. I love the way that the NIV puts it. And it says, and so we know and rely on. Like, like this is what we've hitched our wagon to. It's not that God's going to be doing everything the way that we want it to, want him to all of the time. That's not my, that's not my hope. My hope is that my, my claim and my rest is that no matter what he brings, I know he loves me. I know he loves me. The message says it this way. We know it so well that God loves us. That we've embraced it heart and soul. This love that comes from God. And so, if, like, to use an analogy, if we're like a, a rock climber scaling the side of a wall, our harness, our rope, Our belay partner, all of it is the fact that he loves me. That's what we rely on. So in the next few minutes, I want to unpack what does that really look like? And what does that really mean? How do we plant our feet firmly in two worlds? Believing that he's good and that he's loving and seeing my story, my life as part of the grander narrative of what he's telling throughout history. Here's how, here's how we do it. One, because he loves me, I rely on his love by pushing in when pain comes, not by pushing away. 
I love that Mary and Martha are like, call for Jesus. Call, call for him. He, he loves us. Let's, let's call for him. Let's push in. And I don't know about you, but, but when that time comes in life and when, when hurt and when sorrow and when pain comes, it's easier for me to go and to talk to a whole lot of other people than it is to talk to Jesus. I think it might be because I really, in the core of my being, believe that he can do something about it. And there's times when I'm not sure that he's going to. And so relying on the love that he has for us means that we run to him, not away from him. Two, I would say, we rely on him by being convinced that anything that comes into my life passes through the lens of the cross. Everything. So, so whatever, whatever we walk through in life, and hey, here's the deal. I'm not the only one in this room who's walking through it. And there are, and if you aren't, you will. And there are, there's other people who are just wrestling with God and saying, God, why would you, why would you allow this? Why would you, why would you go there? Why would you do this? And if I'm going to rely on and cling to as my, as my only hope, the love of God, then whatever comes into my life, in my view, has to pass through the lens of the cross, has to pass through Calvary, has to pass through his declaration that he loves me enough to forgive me and to purchase me as his own. And so even if trial and hardship and pain come, it comes through the cross. It doesn't go around the cross. It doesn't go in back of the cross. It doesn't come before the cross. It goes right through the cross. And so I'm reminded that whatever he brings, he brings through this lens that he's already given way more. He's already given way more than he could ever take away. And and so scriptures are constantly going to point us back to set your mind on things above. In view of God's mercy to you, view view the cross. Everything that comes, comes through that lens. Third, I want to rest in and be satisfied with the love of God. That God has for me. Look at the way that Psalm 90 verse 14 says it. Where the psalmist writes. Oh satisfy us in the morning. With your steadfast love. With a, with a love that just hooks into us. And doesn't let go. God satisfy us with that kind of love. And what does it look like to really believe that Jesus is enough? And see, being awakened to faith means that we are satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus and we're willing to build our life on that conviction and that conviction alone. That's the, that's the rock that's unshakable. We want to build our life on circumstances. Hey, friends, I don't know if you've noticed, but they're going to change. It's one of the only constants in your life. 
So do we really want to build on that or do we want to build on something deeper? Do we want to find our joy and our satisfaction in life in something deeper? See, the the fight of faith isn't the fight to hold on to a cognitive belief. It's the fight to believe that Jesus is enough. That's the fight of faith. Whatever whatever life brings, he's he's enough. If it brings joy... He's still enough. I can't, I can't put my hope in the things that he brings. I have to put my hope in him. If he brings pain, it's a great reminder. He's enough. He's enough. This is the testimony of scripture. And even though I cut out 90% of my message, I still, there's a bunch of things I'd love to say that I don't know that we have time for. Fourth, we remain confident Because he loves us, we remain confident that there will be a day when we'll see everything perfectly through the lens of his love and it will make sense. That's a tough one. We sang it earlier. I love song because it allows truths to drive deeper into us. My hope is that it doesn't trivialize saying and singing something like you work all things to the good of those who love you. Because, yeah, I mean, sometimes that means the surgeon takes out the scalpel and removes some things. But there's going to be a day when it's going to make sense. I'd say we are sure we rely on the love of God by being sure that no matter how long and dark the night gets he will not let us go it's a clinging to his love oops go back Uh, I didn't put it in there I'm just going to read it Romans chapter 8 says this Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And he goes, no, 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 in all things. In all of these things, whether it's it's joy or sorrow or trial or pain, and in all of it. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, not height, nor depth, and anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. It is where our anchor sits, friends. Not that we loved him, but that he loves us. And that he always will. And that he always will. And so we live, and this is the first point in your outline that'll be our last point for today. We live in this sort of in-between, this convergence of two different worlds. The, the story that, that I'm living and the grand narrative that God is telling through history. We live that. We navigate those crossroads by valuing the love of Jesus over the blessing of Jesus. 
And his love is one of his blessings to us. But oftentimes we view the, the material things, the, the way that he brings people and things and into our life. And it's easy to worship those things and lose sight of the God who's giving them. And no matter what he takes away, he promises he will not take himself away. And newsflash, the best thing he can give us is himself. Nothing else. Nothing else. And so our feet are firmly planted. The mindset that Jesus' relationship with you, knowing you, is better than it all. Than it all. It's better than it all. And we, we need reminders, don't we? I need reminders. I have spiritual amnesia. And I forget, and it's easy for me to say, God, do you love me? So for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have had these reminders. Reminders of the last meal that Jesus shared with them. Because I think God knew something about us. He, He knows that we need to be reminded that he's good and that he's loving even when it stings and even when it hurts and even when we can't see it. And so for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have been celebrating communion and we're going to celebrate it this morning. It was a beautiful display of his love that he foreshadowed to as he took bread at the dinner table and he, he broke it and he said, this is my body that I'm going to give for you. And he took the cup and he poured it and he said, this cup is a new covenant of my blood, in my blood. My grace will be enough. It's sufficient for you. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the table is open to you. As you come, remember, he loves you. He loves you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this table is for those who put faith and hope in Jesus. And I would invite you to do that this morning. And I think God's probably been stirring in your heart already. I know he has. If this is for you this morning and you want to put your faith and hope in Jesus, we're going to, I'm going to say a prayer in just a few moments that I'd invite you to pray with me. But the real change happens when you put faith in him and say, Jesus, I believe that you'll be enough. You're enough to cover my sin in the past. You're enough to pave the way for my future. And you're enough to hold me for every day in between. You're enough. If that's a decision you make this morning, I just want to say right now, I would love to, and our elders would love to talk to you after. Let's bow and let's, let's pray.